it's wonderful how how the American people display their sportsmanship. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Whenever you are listening to this, welcome to the Often Daunted Podcast. Got a double stacked episode for you today. As with a sick child last evening, um, and with this show being a one man operation, tied with the quick turnaround playing the next day, I felt that I could bring more to the show doing this one as a recap of the Hoosiers Empire Classic showing in its entirety. Thank you so much for joining me, your host, Burke White. If this is your first time listening, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, hope you enjoy the show. As I do each show, I'll be recapping the latest action we just witnessed from the good guys, your Indiana Hoosiers, before presenting a bit of the news that has sprung up in regards to Indiana. I'll then dig into some of the stories and results around the conference before previewing our next opponent, this one being the Har- the Harvard Crimson. Then, as always, I'll get you out of here with a Hoosier history hit. So, without further ado, let's kick it off with the slog that was the UConn performance. Final score out of Madison Square Garden, UConn 77, Indiana 57. Initially, initially, I mean, UConn's offense came out sloppy initially, but but so did we. I genuinely felt like we needed to capitalize on that time and get a lot, get, get a lead there right from the start in order to come out with a win. Alas, the only problem was the Hoosiers offense came out even more sloppy than that UConn did. If, if, if you want to beat the top talented teams out there, you have to find a way to capitalize. You have to find a way to make them pay in those moments where they don't look like the world beaters they typically are. For just a large chunk of this one, the Indiana defense looked far more competent than we've seen. They, they truly did. A large part of that was C.J. Gunn really brought it on the defensive end, fighting through screens just with a capability we've been dying to see. At, like, truly, uh, our fan base has been dying to see that intensity on the defensive end. We know that that's the baseline. If we don't have that, what have we got? Uh, like in, in Mike Woodson's tenure, that has been the b- constant baseline throughout all of his teams. Maybe that in Trace Jackson Davis. But yeah, just as, as brutal as that one was to watch, as brutal as that UConn showing was, a silver lining in that game genuinely was CJ's willingness to compete. Not the best shooting conversion by any means. I th- he went two for seven. But he really showed a foundation in his competitiveness that this team desperately needed while while it was just a brutal 20 point loss at the hands of the Huskies as a Hoosier fan you got to be glad to see it and just hoping that CJ can begin to snowballing the production and that he can continue to bring the tenacity in these big time matchups because the the tenacity wasn't there UConn UConn absolutely dominated the defensive boards they, they just dominated the boards altogether Indiana with four offensive rebounds, 18 defensive rebounds. UConn with 15 offensive rebounds and 29 defensive rebounds. Now that speaks loads to like our conversion rate that they were able to haul in that many. Their ability to get those 15 rebounds absolutely gutted us for 16 second chance points. And uh, maybe a large part of that was Kalel Ware going toe-to-toe with somebody of comparable height. I mean, even bigger in this one. And while he has been a poster boy for field efficiency. It just he just didn't have it in this game. In that UConn game, he was two for ten. Two for ten. He was able to get to the line to take six shots where he converted five, but two for ten just isn't going to do it on this from who has been the most reliable Hoosier so far. Ending the nights with ending the night with eleven points 
if the Hoosiers were going to come out of this one, just based on the backcourt production, we, we needed more from them. Unfortunately, we just weren't able to get it. Speaking to just the backcourt woes in that game, Xavier Johnson just got into foul trouble way too early in this game. And, uh, I mean, it's he was only able to amass 14 minutes in this one. That we, we need him on the floor if this team wants to win. And, uh, yeah, we, we are just so limited in the production of the guards at the moment. And we need anything that he can give us. Those 14 minutes, he, he was only able, able to amass four points for us. Understandably so. We need him on the floor. We need him on the floor. He can't be doing these ticky-tack dumb fouls if the Hoosiers are going to be able to uh, find their footing and find some, uh, co- like, some repeatable flow in the offense. That being said, a lot of the defensive battle in this was in large part due to the lack of energy on that end from our backcourt. I mean, two rebounds combined from Trey, X, and McKenzie. Two rebounds combined. Just It was a game of a lot of ball watching. And here on the Often Daunted podcast, I, I tend to be a bit more optimistic. I tend to uh, look on the brighter side of things and as far as ball watching goes, that the, the most frustrating part of this, but also the part that you may be able to take comfort in, is just how that ball watching seems like a very fixable issue. It's just alarming that two of the three names I just named here are our senior captains. If there's somebody you should have to tell once and this issue's fixed, it's these guys. If they aren't going to be able to set the tone for effort and energy on both ends of the floor, this team could be in trouble. It could be in store for a long season. I, I have to have faith that they can do it. I have to have faith that X and Trey can be trusted to bring the moment, to bring the emotion necessary to fuel some board grabbing. Throughout that game, we saw just Tristan Newton, Cam Spencer, and just the, the UConn backcourt absolutely produce at a rate that had all of us jealous, I'm sure. In his 34 minutes, Chris, Tristan Newton was able to go 7 for 16 from the floor, along with 8 for 10 from free throws. In large part, I mean, that kind of explains X's uh, foul trouble right there. He was able to end the night with 23 points, but it was his 11 boards that really stood out to me. The, de- the defensive or the uh, battle on the boards, what, it was absolutely, I mean, just we were destroyed by UConn on the boards. We were. And maybe a large part of that is Malik Renew fouling out. Of course it is. Malik fouls, I'm going to say. I'm going to say a lot of those calls by the refs were complete bullshit. It was, UConn, UConn's guards were shoving off every possession, and we got called on every little ticky-tack foul. No excuses for 20-point loss. No excuse for a 20-point loss in that regard. But it was it was terrible, if you ask me. Of course, I'm biased. These are my guys. But as much, as painful as it was to watch just the performance on the glass like that, it was equally painful to watch just the op- the offense trying to operate. We, we need a game plan every time down the floor. The offense looked like we were just trying to let Kalel Ware and Malik cook while Malik was successfully converting. I just don't know if just trusting the, produ- the production to the front court is going to be a formula for success against the likes of other seven-footers around the country. And like I said, Malik was producing. He absolutely was. Seven for nine from the field. That in turn with three blocks on the defensive end, Malik had a great showing that day. He did. While there wasn't much to uh, take and celebrate about that game in the slightest way possible, it was a Malik Renew coming out game. He did look dominant on the floor while he was able to be there. Again, his foul trouble amassed him a total of 27 minutes in this one when we could have used him 38. But I'm, I'm glad to see him have these high rates of conversion because that just builds confidence into the next ones. 
And uh, yeah, we're going to need every bit of it. He looks like a, he looks far more willing to dole out some punishment down low. And uh, yeah, that that is something this Hoosier squad can build on. In terms of our freshman phenom, Mackenzie Mbako, he went 0 for 3 from the field. Admittedly, he did look far more competently. He didn't look far more competent on the defensive end. Not he, I mean, he wasn't locked down by any means, but hey, we, he's getting there. And that, that's where it starts. That's the baseline. We need to get there before we can figure out how to get him more involved in this offense. But, but we need to see him convert from the floor for this team to have a real chance at anything significant. We want him on the floor for his potential production. That's why we have suffered through the subpar defense. When, when he can't produce, it's a total letdown across the board. And if, if that's the case, and Indiana's chances are greatly hobbled. He, he's struggling to find his way in the offense, and that culminates in the lack of production we are currently witnessing. We need him to figure out what he is trying to do out there. And in the UConn game, he just didn't have, he didn't have the idea. He didn't have an idea of what to do out there. In his 23 minutes, he was 0 for 3 from the field, like I said. 2 for 2 from three free throws, so hey, 100% conversion rate at the stripe if you're uh, looking for a bright side of that one from him. Amassing a total of two points with one board, he just, yeah, he didn't bring it in that UConn game, and we, we desperately are going to need him to bring it if this team is going to do anything down the road. So, yeah, we, we all knew there was going to be growing pains to this team. We are witnessing them right now, and I'm, I'm just grateful we're, we're still winning. Well, I mean, this UConn game was abhorrent. It was embarrassing just across the board. But, I mean, if we got to take our bruises now, I'm still glad we're sitting at 4-1 and one after uh, all is said and done. We got to take our bruises because this guy's got to be humming for us to have a chance. After UConn got out to the substantial lead, we saw Indiana really start to mail it in down the line. UConn was ultimately successful in breaking the spirits of every single Hoosier with a, with about 10 minutes left in this game, and Indiana was just incapable of battling back. I'm, I'm still convinced that this, te- this team's best ball is still ahead of us. But rebounding is the ultimate barometer of effort, and uh, it, it absolutely told the story in this one. I, I was blown away to see that the Hoosiers won the turnover battle in that somehow, but I mean, I think that 20-point deficit also speaks to, hey, even if you win the turnover battle— if you're going two for two for two for twos against the likes of UConn, who's going to go three, who's going to take threes, they're going to take three and they're going to make threes. You need to be far more efficient from the floor and you need to bring it on the defensive end. That game was a real letdown. It was a real letdown. Indiana has a real opportunity to build some hype and credibility in these huge neutral site games. The opportunity is at hand and you just have to hope that the Hoosiers would bring a fired up effort to each facet of the game. A fired up effort that just wasn't apparent in this one. Again, credit to Malik for finding his production, for getting it going from the floor, and credit to C.J. Gunn for bringing it on the defensive end and uh, hopefully taking a step in his game for sure. Now I'm keeping the UConn game short. That was that. It is what it is. Let's get. Yeah, I just want to get on to the Louisville game. But yeah, let's get. Let's let's go to the good, the bad, and the ugly of this one. The good, Malik renews production and CJ finding himself defensively. The bad, Xavier's foul trouble limiting him to 14 minutes and the Kalel's lack of conversion. And the downright ugly effort on the glass. Just abysmal rebounding, especially from our backcourt. Especially from our seniors that we need to bring the effort time in and time out. In this game, I'm going to be giving out the show Walter Fish of the game for this one. I do it every episode, even in 20-point butt whoopings. I'm handing out a show Walter Fish of the game. And of course, it's going to Malik Renew in this. Again, while the Hoosiers were down bad throughout this whole one, this whole just matchup, 
Malik was efficient in the 27 minutes he was able to be on the floor. Seven for nine shooting, 18 points, three blocks, three rebounds. You wish you saw more there, but nonetheless, he had a great showing on on the largest stages, on the largest stage in America. I mean, Madison Square Garden, it doesn't get bigger than that. And Malik was able to put out a good showing for himself, despite the foul trouble. Ugh, got through that one. Got through that one. Now we're on to the Louisville game. Hey, now now Louisville has been a has been an utter disaster in the Kenny Payne era. Four wins total last season. With all that being said, their team looked a lot more cohesive in their game with the Longhorns yesterday, as they just have been lost previously after losing seven players to the transfer portal this last season. But as they lost players, they definitely added players. Uh, they added two key transfers in Sky Clark, who I mean, the former Illini player, who according to the to our Illinois podcast here on the Big Banter Network, had asked for more money following 13 games and uh, then transferred as a result of the issue. And they also added former uh, USC Trojan forward Trey White, who averaged nine points during his freshman season. He's been building on that. Trey White currently leads Louisville's offensive production this season with 14.5 points per game, with Mike James adding to that effort with 14 points a game and Sky Clark with 13.5. This team looked far different when they tipped off against the likes of the Texas Longhorns yesterday, as opposed to facing the likes of Kentucky Wesleyan when they had lost earlier this season. And in that game with the Longhorns, Trey White and Sky Clark both dropped 20 points, with uh, Sky Clark also adding five rebounds and four assists from that guard position. And this, while you thought that for sure Indiana had to bring it out, had to bring this victory out, we needed a win over Louisville. It could have been a drastic loss if uh, Louisville doesn't turn it around here down the line. But hey, this was a game of runs, but by God, our boys did it. Hustle wins games, and our boys brought the hustle in this one. So, as we do after each victory, if this is your first time listening to the Often Daunted podcast, let's celebrate it. We cannot falter in the battle. We're tried and true. Indiana, 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 we're all for you. Final score out of Madison Square Garden of that latest game, the Louisville matchup, Indiana 74, Louisville 66. It was There was plenty of good, there was plenty of bad, and uh, plenty to build upon. Honestly, I, I am very optimistic after this game. We, we needed to pull out the victory here. We absolutely did, and thank Christ the Hoosiers got it done. The, the, the sense of urgency on the defensive end was there in this one. While the turnover battle was tied at 11, the Hoosiers looked far more competent than they have all season on the defensive end. Maybe that's just the caliber of offense that Louisville was throwing at us, but I'm going to choose to see the bright side and say that the Hoosiers brought it here. Indiana was finally able to win a rebounding battle. The final score on the boards was Indiana had 32 defensive rebounds compared to Louisville's 27. And while Louisville did win the battle on the offensive boards 8-7, to seven, Indiana was able to keep the second chance points right in par with right in line with them at eight apiece. And the main catalyst for this victory, I would say it was our bench. Our bench looked great today. Caleb Banks and Anthony Walker brought very meaningful minutes to the floor. Caleb racking up eight rebounds and Anthony grabbing seven. Both of these guys looked far more engaged on both sides of the ball. And their play off the bench made the difference in this. And and they needed to step up quickly, very early, because McKenzie, because hey, this one started out rough. It, it absolutely started out rough. There was uh, three turnovers in so many minutes. It, like, it, 
right at the start of this, and that, that was cause for alarm out of the gate. But Indiana started to slow it down, and the offense would get going to an extent in that first half. A large part of the first half woes was the fact that McKenzie Mbako still just couldn't find his place in this offense. Seeing him sidelined so quickly within the first two minutes of this one with two fouls was gutting. Gutting when we know we're going to need him to get going. Because, yeah, yeah, he wasn't shooting the best. He wasn't shooting today. But when he was on the floor, you saw him getting involved in the offense. He had some great passes. He really did. But, but I mean, he's not going to figure out anything with nine minutes. In order to get him going, in order for him to find his game, he needs to be able to be on the floor. I, I think we all had an idea that we were going to take some punches out of the gate while this offense got going, while this entirely new roster figured out how to work together. But two fouls within the first two minutes of the game, that's not going to get it done. That's not going to get it done. Here's hoping that Mackenzie Mbako can slow it down there, can uh, step up to the occasion on the defensive end, and can crack down on those fouls in order to be on the floor, in order to get involved to the extent he needs to in order to find his game. But yeah, I mean, with him out, Caleb Banks, was he was a bat out of hell in this one, especially in that second half. Man, saving that errant pass, like leading to the Kalel Ware like, and one down the line, absolutely at a crucial moment in this game. Then following that up with the safety spy, get that shit out of here, lurking rejection. It was absolutely impeccable effort by Caleb Banks, and it absolutely ended up making the difference in this game. Great to see it out of Caleb. Man, we needed some. Yeah, if you need something to build some confidence in, it's it's that these guys are bringing it. They are. That was a great effort by our guy. He didn't get the most shots up in his 25 minutes on the floor. But that being said, hey, he was one for two. Two for four from the line. Could have worked on that. But eight rebounds from him. That's all of that makes the difference. That that tied with him him even being able to provide three rebounds is, or three assists is huge. This Hoosier team has struggled with assists. Assisted plays just mean your offense is running a little better. There's cohesion in it. There's a plan there. And the Hoosiers finally were able to win the assist battle. Louisville only ra- racked up nine assists in this game, while Indiana was able to rack up 18. That, that had to be the first assist battle we've won all year. Credit to the bench for, for really bringing it. And credit to Peyton Sparks for finding his footing in here a bit. Yeah, I, I had already mentioned Anthony Walker. And he was able to tally 11 points in this game. 5 for 5 from the line. Absolutely huge. Ice cold at the stripe. You love to see it. It's, it's a performance that can be built upon. But man, I, I was pumped to see Peyton Sparks get going. They kept saying, Sparks flying in Madison Square Garden. Sparks flying. And you got that's so awesome for a guy who just, I mean, the Ball State transfer coming up to Indiana to play big ball and big moments. Madison Square Garden is a huge environment, and it was awesome for him to find his game here. Four for five from the floor for a total of nine points, going one for four from the free throw. Again, his free throw shots are crazy, but <laughs> hey, man, he's working for him. He's working for him. Got to give him credit there. His his buckets came at huge moments. Those uh, Both those dunks really, really did provide a, a jolt of energy for the Hoosier side, and I'm, I'm just grateful to see it. Throughout this one, Xavier Johnson played a much more complete game than we've seen him play in the previous outings, as he was able to tally 14 points, reliable from the line, 9 for 12, with 5 assists and much needed 4 in the rebound column. That being said, while X was more reliable here, he really needs to start to understand here in his sixth year that never once has an official changed his call because of a player's reaction to it. Not not ever once. He plays with fire, of course he does, but he needs to temper those reactions a bit to exude a reliability for the rest of our guys to look up, look upon. The, guy, the guys are going to be looking to him to provide stability when things get tough and when this squad faces adversity. 
And it's almost like he just needs to recognize that fact in himself a bit more. Again, a much more well-rounded game in this showing. So so grateful to see it. But still plenty to work on. Plenty to work on. This, yeah. Another guy really bringing it off the bench for the Hoosiers was C.J. Gunn. C.J. Gunn provided defensive tenacity once again in this one. And he is truly earning more and more minutes with his willingness to put in the work on both ends. He wasn't lighting up the stat sheet by any means necessary. He converted better than he did prior. Uh, going three for seven uh, for a total of six points. But uh, it really was just his defensive attitude. What he was bringing on that side of the ball absolutely made a difference in this game. And if he can keep doing this, he's going to earn more minutes. He's going to earn more time to allow his game to develop. And hopefully, in turn, we see that conversion develop as well. I, I'm so I'm, I'm very pumped for what aspects of production he can hopefully bring to his game. Khalil Ware stepped up the efficiency in this game. Uh, as opposed to that UConn showing, where I think he had 2 for 10, I think I said earlier in the episode. Here he was 5 for 11, um, going 2 for 3 from the line. It is pretty nice to have a forward like that that you can really trust at the line. Knocking down a total of 12 points. Uh, also adding on top of that 7 rebounds. Again, just Indiana brought an attitude to the defensive glass, the offense, just both sides. Just an effort that wasn't there in the UConn game. You were glad to see it, and... Uh, it paid dividends. It paid off with a W. Credit to Kalel for being able to uh, convert better in this one. Again, Malik Renew, very efficient with a 3-for-5 night. Uh, but it was his free-throw shooting. Gosh, was he dependable. 6-for-6 six six on the night. Free throws win games, and uh, Kalel did his part at the stripe. Total of 12 points. He also added 7 rebounds. Again, just an effort across the board. Everyone was bringing it. I, I, I am so... Uh, yeah, it's not foolish for me to say I'm proud of what Malik is bringing to his game, what the step he has taken this offseason. He is going to be a problem in the Big Ten. I honestly was thinking, I was like, seeing Renew draw a triple team made me a proud fan. It really did. Despite the foul trouble, we needed every bit we got from Malik. He has taken a leap this offseason in what he is able to do in throwing around the weight he's put on. Trey, our senior shooting guard, um, uh, Trey only had two in this one, in one of seven from the field. But I have to hold out hope that his shots are falling. Like, I have to hold out hope that his shots falling are an impending inevitability. Trey seems a little timid when taking his shots right now. In a way, I feel like Trey and some of the other guys need an injection of unwarranted confidence. I don't know what it's going to take, but man, if you don't believe the shots are going in, you're probably right. Based on prior games, expecting it to go in may seem a little delusional, but maybe this team could use a hit of delusion. In that UConn game, the defense was flat, and the Huskies took full advantage of that. Woody, Woody taking a turn and just uh, introducing the zone defense about halfway into the second half of this game, that, that, that was a welcome adjustment made by the Sheriff. Why, why not embody the Syracuse squads of old? Long as hell, just cover the entire floor. I like the change of pace it presented to the Cardinals here, and it was in large part the reason the Hoosiers held the Cardinals to four points in the last eight minutes of this game. This game, we needed to beat Louisville, guys. We, we truly did. It just, it's just the way it had to go. This this loss could have looked potentially devastating at the end, but uh, sure, I mean, sure. Louisville's been absolutely booty stank for the better part of two years now. But their talent alone could be enough to be a scrappy out in the down, if you ask me, ACC. This win could stand to look better down the line should Kenny Payne get out of his own way and uh, they can string together some big wins. More importantly, it's potentially a dreadful loss that the Hoosiers escaped. Sitting 4-1, and one, if you just saw snippets of this team from time to time throughout the start of this season, 
You would take that all day. You would take four and one all day and twice on Sundays. I'm going to be appreciative for where we're at after five games, believing in the idea that this team's best ball is still ahead. So with just my uh, few thoughts on both these games out of the way, uh, let's give that show Walter Fisher the game for this one. Oh, just before I go into that, hey, we had four Hoosiers in double digits. Xavier Johnson again with 14, Kalel with 12, Malik 12, and Anthony Walker off the bench with 11. The glimpses of production are starting to rear their head, and you just have to hope to God it starts hitting soon. But with that, your show Walter Fisher the game. The show Walter Fisher this game, I am going to go ahead and give it to... Hmm, I'm going to give it to the bench collectively. 30 bench points from a Hoosier squad who just last all season we've seen that the second squad can can tend to be a letdown on the offensive end. 30 points from our bench is a great addition to this squad, and uh, I welcome it fully. So in particular, I'm giving it to Anthony Walker, Peyton Sparks, Caleb Banks, and CJ Gunn, all those guys. They each get a quarter of a fish tonight. With the Louisville game in the books... Let's get into the Indiana news. Not a whole lot of Indiana news, but uh, hey, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw it your way anyway. Congrats to the men's soccer team for advancing to the Sweet 16, beating Wake Forest three to two to make it. Uh, that that freaking commentary from the game was pretty hilarious. Seems like uh, quite the Homer situation they got going on there in men's college soccer, but hey, uh, you got to respect how pissed off they were at our guys. And you just love to see it. A, a Hoosier victory in soccer, I mean, it's what we do. We win. We win soccer games. But uh, congrats to the Hoosiers making it to the Sweet 16. If I said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Jalen hood Shafino is absolutely putting on a clinic in how to be an appreciative one and dunner. Hooking up the IU basketball team with the Adidas 2023 collection, Chapter 1. With that collection being... Adidas's premium line of athletic wear. Liam McNeely has been named to the Jersey Mike's Naismith Boys High School Player of the Year watch list. A soon-to-be Hoosier just doing big things on the high school level right now. And a few notes from recruiting. During the Wright State matchup, the Hoosiers hosted a visit from the class of 25 for 6'8 small forward Noah Smith. Also in attendance was 6'7 small forward EJ Hazlitt from Franklin Central in the class of 2026. And that was your Hoosier news. Yeah, we got really light this week. Really light this episode, guys. So let's get on to that national news where I'm just going to I'm gonna present. I mean, there's only one story that really happened around our conference. But uh, I'll also be getting into some of the results from the rest of our Big Ten brethren. So yeah, here's your national news. Ex-Spartan Brandon Dawson has been suspended from the Dominican League for two whole seasons following him committing actual assault on the court. After fighting on the boards, running back down the court, he delivers the right-handed haymaker to the back of his opposition's head in a total punk cheap shot. Two years is an insanely long suspension, but the punch is absolutely crazy. Ex-Izzo guys are on a tear of violence right now. And some results around the conference. I always tune in to watch a Thad Mata rematch against one of these those uh, same coaches he would square off with when he, he was in the Big Ten back in the day. And Friday evening, we got just that when Butler visited Michigan State Friday night. Michigan State was able to handle themselves as Tyson Walker once again led the Sparty effort, as he does dropping 21 points in Michigan State's 74-54 victory. Michigan State was able to follow that up with an 81-49 shellacking of Alcorn State, even without Tyson, who was out with an illness. Ace Baldwin led the Nittany Lions as they took down Moorhead State 74-51. to 
senior Cutis Wayhab and Kanye Clary each had 14 points, leading Penn State's production. Following the poor showing against Providence, Wisconsin was able to defeat Robert Morris, 78-68. Tyler Wall and John Blackwell led the Badgers' scoring efforts with 18 apiece. Wisconsin then faced off with Virginia just yesterday, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, in Fort Myers, where Stephen Crowell's 15-point double-double got the Badgers the upset victory against the 24th-ranked Virginia, 65-41. After being fully entranced myself by what Doug McDaniel was doing for the stock of Michigan at this time, the Wolverines suffered a painful loss at the hands of Long Beach State University, 94-86. Doug was still able to drop 20 points, but it was Long Beach State University's guard, Marcus Sohonis, who scored an astounding 35 points on 12 for 19 from the floor. Illinois saw a lot more run from Dane Danger against Valparaiso than the three minutes he saw against Marquette as Coleman Hawkins was out nursing a lefty knee injury. The Illini came out with the victory after being down 45 to 38 at the end of the first half, winning 87 to 64. Danger was extremely efficient going 8 for 10 from the floor here, making everyone question why he hadn't been playing more over a struggling Hawkins against Marquette. Iowa beat Arkansas State on the back of Ben Crick's 25 points, but shot a measly 16.7 behind the arc in their 88-74 victory Friday night. Maryland's struggles continued into Friday night as the Terps fell to Villanova 57 to a meager 40 points. The headline read, Burton and Bamba lead Villanova to a 57-40 rout of Maryland, which is utterly ridiculous. Routing someone while only scoring 57 is truly impressive. Kaiser went 0-4 for 0. Jameer Young went 3-for-10 from the field, with all conversions coming behind the arc. Familiar face Jordan Geronimo went 1-for-9 with 2 points. And the great freshman hope for all Maryland fans, Deshaun Harris-Smith, went 1-for-6 for 2 points in this one. What an incredibly inadequate Friday night for our East Coast brethren. Minnesota was able to handle their business against SC Upstate 67-53, to as Dawson Garcia led the Gopher production with 14 points. Northwestern beat Rhode Island 72-61 as Brooks Barnheiser scored 18 points and Boo Booey added another 16. Following that, in a quick turnaround, playing Mississippi State the next day, Northwestern fell to the Bulldogs 66-57. Boo Booey was unable to produce enough for the Wildcats, converting four of his 14 from the floor that day. The Huskers absolutely took it to Oregon State with a final score of 84-63, with guard Bryce Williams going 9-17 for for a total of 25 points. Rutgers was able to decimate Seth Towns in the Howard Bison as Clifford Omarui amassed a double-double with 15 points and 14 rebounds. Just as impressive was Derek Simpson's 23 points on 7-for-10 from the field. Ohio State handled the now 0-4 Western Michigan Broncos as two Buckeyes, Jameson Battle and Roddy Gale Jr., led Buckeye production with 13 points apiece. And the last team to be discussed, always here on the Often Daunted podcast, Purdue tipped off what may be the deepest Maui Invitational yet with Gonzaga on Monday evening. After going into the half down 35-30, the Boilermakers asserted themselves, and on the back of Zach Eady's 25 points and 14 rebounds, the Boilers advance in the Maui Invitational, where they will be playing Dalton Connect in the Vols today, if you're listening on Tuesday. Before I get out of this national news part, I just wanted to uh, talk about how much Misery loves company. You know, Misery loves company, so thanks to at D Bryant underscore MU13 for sharing Rothstein's up-to-date epitome of brutality tally, giving me the list of upsets so far. However down bad we've all felt this season, these teams are down worse. So, hey, don't, don't worry about it. Ooh, quite the list. Buckle up. VCU lost to McNeese State 76-65. Buffalo lost to FDU 92-86. South Alabama lost to Nichols 102-97 in triple overtime. Oklahoma State lost to Abilene Christian 64-59. Michigan State loses to JMU. We all knew that, 79-76. 
Vanderbilt loses to Presbyterian 68-62. DePaul, twice, <laughs> twice got beat with the upset. Loses to Purdue-Fort Wayne. That's, that's my mama's alma mater back when it was IPFW. Uh, 82-74. Then again to Long Beach State, 77-73. UNLV loses to Southern, 85-71. West Virginia loses to Monmouth, 73-65. Louisville loses to Chattanooga, 81-71. LSU loses to Nichols, 68-66. Cal loses to Pacific, 87-79. Then to Montana State, 63-60. Fordham loses to Cornell, 78-73. Notre Dame loses to West Carolina, 71-61. Georgetown loses to Holy Cross, 68-67. St. Mary's loses to Weber State, 61-57. Georgia Tech loses to UMass Lowell, 74-71. USC loses to UC Irvine, 70-68. Duquesne loses to Princeton, 70-67. South Florida loses to Central Michigan, 68-63. East Carolina loses to SC Upstate, 83-81. Portland loses to Tennessee State, 75-65. Michigan loses to Long Beach, 94-86. St. Joe's loses to Texas A&M Commerce. That's a crazy name for a school. Is that a town commerce? Or is that like their business school's basketball team? Whoever it is, St. Joe's loses to Texas A&M Commerce, 57-54. And finally, Arkansas loses to UNC Greensboro, (sighs) 78-72. I just rattled through that because I just want you guys to know, however down you feel, people people out there are down worse. The Hoosiers are currently sitting at 4-1, with our only loss being a top five team. There are worse situations to be in. Cheer up. Let's get behind these guys, and let's try to understand that their best ball lies ahead. With that out of the way, I'm going to hit you with a word for my partners, Big Banter Sports. And then I'm going to get into the Harvard preview, as well as your Hoosier history hit, and then we'll get you on out of here. The Often Daunted Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Big Banter Sports. This has been an awesome network of podcasts that I've gotten to join. Each Big Ten school is represented both in football and basketball, and uh, just getting to bounce ideas off of each other has really helped the show. Um, Looking forward to, once we get this Big Ten conference play started, looking forward to having some of these guys on to discuss their teams in these previews. And yeah, it's going to be a good time having everybody on. Uh, If you haven't followed them, follow them at Big Banter Sports. They're just talking about what's new in the Big Ten at all times. And if you haven't followed me, at Often Daunted, everywhere that, on on all socials, at Often Daunted. At Often Daunted, at Often Daunted. If you haven't subscribed to the show, please do. It helps my ego. Helps the, Watching the numbers go up gives me a little boost in confidence and uh, helps me keep go, keep going with this. Uh, it's been just the my favorite hobby to undertake, and I can't appreciate you guys enough for listening. So again, everywhere at Often Daunted. Thanks. All right, getting into the Harvard preview. Now, now Harvard's been led by ex-Michigan Wolverines coach Tommy Amaker since he was fired at the University of Michigan last season. The Harvard Crimson went 14 for 14 with a record of 5 and 9 in conference. Currently sitting at 4 and 1 on the season, the Harvard Crimson are coming off of a 64 to 73 loss at the hands of Boston College. And right now in the Ken Palm rankings, which I mean I don't think they truly mean anything until we get to like mid no mid December, but Harvard currently sitting at the 138th spot on Ken Palm's rankings with number 201 adjusted offense and 102 adjusted defense. Heading into this season, Harvard lost its top two scorers to the transfer portal in Chris Ledlam, now at St. John's, and Aiden Trittout, now on Iona. Trying to make up for that production loss was going to be a junior in Evan Nelson and a sophomore Chisholm Akpara. Unfortunately for Evan Nelson, he had an Achilles injury at the start of November that has sidelined him all of this season. 
As for Chisholm Okpara, he's averaging 14.8 points per game, all while adding 6.8 boards for his efforts on the glass. At the beginning of the season, many had eyed 6'10 senior Justice Ed... These names are crazy. <laughs> At the beginning of the season, many have eyed 6'10 senior Justice Ajogbor for a breakout season this year. Last season, he was able to average 6.1 points per game, 3.2 rebounds a game, all in 17.7 minutes per game. This season, he is the Crimson's leading board grabber with 8.8 rebounds a game. Despite averaging 25 minutes a game, his production seems to remain where it was, now averaging 7.6 points per game. To the surprise of many Harvard fans, the bulk of their production has been coming at the hands of a freshman just erupting onto the scene in Malik Mack. The 6'1", 170-pound guard is averaging 21 points a game, including one 32-point performance against the likes of UMass. His last three shooting nights have been immaculate, going 4 for 5 from 3 against Northeastern, 5 for 10 from 3 for against UMass, and 2 for 4 against BC. Malik Mack is also leading the distribution efforts for the Crimson with 5 assists a game. This, this current Indiana team can't afford to take anyone lightly, obviously. There has to be a continued sense of urgency for this team on the boards if the Hoosiers look to put forth a respectable outing here. What am I saying? Respectable outing. We need to beat Harvard in Gamebridge. That's just how it is. Bunch of dorks. We need to beat them. As a team, Harvard is shooting a stellar 38.4 from behind the arc. Defending this has always been has been an issue for the Hoosiers this season. But here's hoping that the long break before this one can allow our backcourt to bring in energy necessary to fight through those screens and close out properly on the hot shooting Crimson Guards. That's just a little insight for the upcoming opponent. So uh, without th with that out of the way, let's get on with your Hoosier history hit. This is your Hoosier history hit. For your Hoosier history hit today, I just wanted to discuss the, uh, I wanted to discuss James Howard Horn who was an athletic director and coach of American football, basketball, baseball, and track and field at Indiana University between 1898 and 1905. Horn was born in 1874 in Berlin, New Hampshire, to John Roberts Horn and Sarah Horn. Like both of his brothers, he attended Bowdoin College, where he was a member of the Delta Epsilon fraternity and involved with various athletic clubs and teams, being a four-year member of the track and field team also earning the right to be team captain his junior and senior years. Following some time spent at Bowdoin as the assistant athletic director, James H. Horn would take the job as Indiana University's director of the men's gymnasium in, in 1898. It was under his tenure as athletic director that Indiana was admitted membership to the Big Ten Conference in December of 1899, and he would serve as athletic director for the following five years. During his time on campus, Horn would be the Indiana football coach from 1898 to 1904. He would also be the university's first baseball coach in 1899. But why am I talking about him on the Often Daunted podcast? It's because he was the first men's basketball team head coach where on February 8th, 1901, he and the other Hoosiers would travel by train to Indianapolis and play in their first game, losing to Butler 20 to 17. You thought our offense was bad. Yeah, I know there wasn't a shot clock. After losing the following two games, one again to Butler and the other to Purdue, Horn was able to secure the first ever victory in Indiana Hoosier basketball history with a 26-17 win over Wabash in Bloomington. Officially, he's credited with coaching the Hoosiers to a 1-4 record after his only season as head coach. However, as athletic director, he would be closely involved with the team for the next three seasons. 
And yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to the first Indiana Hoosier basketball coach. If you didn't know, now you know. It's James H. Horn. Didn't do a whole lot of winning here, but man, he got us off the ground. And credit to him for that. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Often Daunted podcast. Thank you for uh, trudging along, trudging through that UConn game so that we could uh, have, a, have a little more fun discussing that Louisville game. Here's looking ahead to Harvard. Hopefully the Hoosiers can come out as strong as they did on the glass today. Hopefully they can bring an effort necessary to just absolutely trounce those dorks. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you guys giving me the listen. I always do, but I, I can't say it enough. I, I truly appreciate it. This has been so much fun for me to undertake. Uh, recording these, just sending them out into the airwaves and hoping somebody's out there listening. Uh, thank you so much again. Follow me everywhere on socials at Often Daunted if you haven't. And uh, feel free to subscribe, leave a review. Unless you hate the show, then uh, don't don't review anything, please. Thank you. You and yours have a great week. I'm going to be right back here Monday following that Harvard game, just breaking down what we just witnessed as I am after each of these games. You and yours have a great one. God bless you guys. Lux, Lux at Veritas. Go Hoosiers.